Heroes and villains. Since time immemorial, we've told stories about heroes and villains. And the hero is the good guy, the one who acts to defend the common good. And the villain is the bad guy, the one who poses some threat to the common good. Heroes and villains. It's what so many of our stories today and throughout history have boiled down to. And I would actually say this dynamic between heroes and villains, it can help us to understand better the message, the heart of the parable in our gospel today. And here's why. When we read the gospel as Christians, like like the gospel that we have today, and we see that there are two individuals, one of whom is a Pharisee, we instinctively assume the Pharisee is the villain of the story. And that assumption is with good reason, right? Because throughout the Gospels, the Pharisees are the ones who are trying to foil Jesus' ministry, to entrap him, to arrest him, and ultimately they're the ones who conspire to kill him. But that's not the reaction first century Jews would have to this parable. That's not the reaction the original hearers of this parable would have had. In fact, they would have had the very opposite assumption. They would have heard a parable about a tax collector and a Pharisee and assumed the tax collector was the obvious villain and the Pharisee the hero, at least at the beginning. Why is that? Well, tax collectors were Jews who worked for Rome. They collected taxes for the empire. And so they were looked upon as traitors, not just of country, but of God. And on top of that, they had this reputation of being dishonest and greedy, so they took more than they needed to line their own pockets. The tax collectors were considered the villains of first century Jewish society. The Pharisees, by contrast, they weren't the, seen as the hypocritical victim or villains we view them as today. They were actually seen as heroic by your average person. Why is that? Well, the Pharisees were a people who asked the question, how are we going to faithfully live, uh, live out Judaism while we're occupied by this pagan empire? And their solution, their answer, was to separate themselves. They would separate themselves from all that was impure, all that defiled in this pagan culture, They would emphasize ritual purity and scrupulously following the law. That was their solution. They would intensely pursue holiness as they saw it. And if they did this, maybe God would come and rescue them from Rome. And the rest of Jewish society looked on them as admirable, maybe even heroic for doing this. The Pharisees weren't seen as villains, but heroes. The tax collectors were seen as the villains. And you might say, okay, that's a nice little historical fact. How can that help us understand the parable better? And I would say this, the parable warns us about a deadly sin that is so deadly in part because it's not that obvious. The sins of the tax collector were obvious, right? He had allied himself with this pagan empire. He had forsaken God and country. He was greedy. He was very likely guilty of lying, stealing, Those sins are obvious, though. He knows them. Everybody knows them. The sin that this parable warns us about is the sin of pride. 
And we see pride in the prayer of the Pharisee, right? Notice, um, and we'll talk about pride. You know, when we say pride is a sin, we don't mean it like we typically use the word today in 2019. Today we might say something like, I take pride in my work. And that just means that I take satisfaction in making sure the job is done well. That's a good thing that's not a sin. That's not what we, taught, what we mean when we say pride is a sin. We see pride in the prayer of the Pharisee, right? His prayer is all about himself. It actually says that he prayed to himself, that his pride has, has distorted his prayer to the point that it's the spiritual equivalent of checking himself out in the mirror. He, he lists these good things he's done, right? He fasts and he tithes. He's not greedy. He's not dishonest or adulterous. And make no mistake, in all, all those things are good. Those are all things we should do. We should try to live a morally upright life. We should try not to be greedy. We should try to be honest, not adulterous. We should fast. We should tithe. We should do all those things. But this is why pride is so deadly, because it can worm its way into even the very best spiritual practices. It can poison even the greatest virtues. And we see this because the Pharisee doesn't see these things in his life as a reason to humbly give thanks for the work God is doing in him. He sees it as a reason to exalt himself and despise his neighbor. You know, pride, it, it brings us to the point where we conveniently overlook our own faults, but the faults of others are magnified. You know, we don't notice the beam in our own eye, but we're very aware of the splinter in our brother's eye. You know, pride, if it's unchecked, it can step by step lead us to this point where we are disconnected from reality, where we're living in this fantasy world where we are the hero, and whoever opposes us, disagrees with us, whoever annoys us or aggravates us, they are the villain, they are what's wrong with the world. You know, Jesus told us this parable, it's a story, but I have no doubt there were Pharisees in his time who looked at themselves as the saintly heroes trying to save Judaism from a corrupt and wicked generation. And people like this tax collector as everything that's wrong with the world, the true villains of society. I'm sure Caiaphas, the chief priest who ultimately made the decision to try and, and, and kill Christ and succeeded at it. I have no doubt he thought he was a hero saving Judaism from this dangerous zealot from Galilee who, if left unchecked, would bring down the wrath of the Roman Empire. Pride, it can lead to a point where we are disconnected from reality. But our parable, our gospel, also shows us the antidote, which is humility, right? And humility is not thinking less of ourselves, it's not denigrating ourselves, it's seeing us as God sees us, as we really are. So if pride can disconnect us from reality, if pride can bring us to a point where we live in a quote-unquote fantasy world, humility is connecting us to reality, right? It's, it's ordering our, our worldview, our mind, our heart and soul to reality. That's what the tax collector does, right? His prayer, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's a sinner, like all of us. And he acknowledges that in his prayer. But he also acknowledges that God is merciful, 
that he loves us, that he wants us to be free of our sins, that he wants to show us his mercy. He shows that trust that we ought to have in reality in God's goodness, that confidence we ought to have in his mercy. You know, humility, humility is seeing ourselves as God sees us. Humility is connecting us to reality. Humility enables us to see that the real enemy is not our political opponents. It's not those who ideologically and philosophically disagree with us. I'm not saying those disagreements aren't important, but people who disagree with us are not the enemy. It's not those who we are in petty rivalries with or competitions. The enemy, as St. Paul said in his letter to the Ephesians, is, is not an enemy of flesh and blood, but the rulers, the authorities, the principalities and powers of this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. Humility helps us to recognize this reality and to see that in the face of such a villain, we need a truly transcendent hero who can save us. And his name is Jesus the Christ. So we need humility. How do we get it? Well, by imitating the tax collector. By what, what the tax collector says, oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner, we all should say as well, because it's true of us. We're sinners in need of God's mercy. And so daily, we ought to be asking for that mercy. We ought to be praying like the tax collector. But humility is also something we need to specifically ask God for. Because part of humility is acknowledging that every good thing, all the good things in the world, and all the good things in us, our talents, our strengths, our good qualities, at the end of the day, they come from God. Their source is in Him, not in us. And so the best place to start is on our knees, asking the one who alone can make us the saints he created us to be. So as we continue with Mass, let us pray that God may forgive us our pride and grant us true humility.